Hey everybody, welcome to Secure the Bag, a podcast where we talk personal finance, investing, and bettering yourself. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I'm joined by amazing guests from all walks of life who share their in-depth personal stories. I hope these stories make these topics more approachable, teaches you frameworks on how to get started, and gives you a sneak peek into future trends. Hey, everybody. I am excited to be joined by a good buddy of mine, George Jannon, today. Uh, George is a technology recruiter. We have known each other now, I think, for how many years is it? Maybe seven years? Yeah, yeah. I think like seven or eight. George, thanks so much for, for being on the show today. Oh, my pleasure, Karthik. Thanks for, for having me. No, of course. I thought we could start here. We, you know, in this show, we talk about investing very broadly. And I think one area people don't think enough about investing in is their career, which is kind of strange because for most people, their career where they work is is a lion's share of their income. So as someone who's you know been in the recruiting game for now or 10 years, what do you think is the biggest difference or disconnect between how people should think about their career versus how they act? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and you know it, it it it's true that when people think about investing, it's usually just yeah, like their 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 money and their accounts, but the amount of time that they're going to be spending uh, in a job or in given jobs is basically most of their uh, waking hours in their life. So it is something to uh, to, to focus on. And when you're a recruiter, you have this kind of interesting point of view where you talk to people at different points of their career all the time. And you're kind of this neutral third party. So like people are, you're not exactly like a shrink. I mean, people don't get that personal with you usually. Um, but they do tell you kind of like, Oh, this is, this is the right. Good decision. Uh, or I got hit a roadblock here. Uh, and, 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 and I also think humans are, are not very good at sort of projecting out in time, uh, especially like in large periods of time, like thinking about like a decade, planning out a decade or something like that. It's just not something that humans are, are, are good at at all. Um, and so there are a few, I guess, I don't know, I, there are a few pitfalls, like things that I've seen people do again and again that, um, especially kind of early on in their careers that are, I'm going to say stupid, there are mistakes. Um, and, and, and it's, and, and it's hard in the moment for people to see that they're a mistake, but in reality they, they are. Uh, I think one of them, one of the big ones is sort of the problem of the golden handcuffs, you know, that concept kind of. That, that's the concept where you, you're comfortable in your current job. Maybe there's a bonus or stock options that you're going to invest and you're just reluctant to, to leave that money on the table, right? To do something different. Exactly. Like there's something, it could be a salary, it could be perks, it could be stock options or something sort of keeping you there. Uh, and you don't want to get rid, you don't want to lose it. Um, and so you get you you essentially never move. Uh, you're in a prison, but a very sort of nice prison. Hence the the idea of the golden handcuffs. Uh, and, and if you change jobs and maybe took one 
small step back, uh, but in a company where you'd be learning a lot more or something like that, you would, again, projecting over like a decade or something, would be in an infinitely more interesting, impactful and like lucrative, uh, uh, lucrative type of position. I mean, I feel like an extreme version of that is the team that founded WhatsApp that actually applied to Facebook. Um, I know they didn't get the job, but had they gotten the job, uh, presumably WhatsApp wouldn't have been created. They wouldn't have made $13 billion. This is an extreme example, but like, that's the kind of idea. Uh, and so this, and so golden handcuffs are specific, are especially sort of quote unquote dangerous in the beginning of your career, right? If you're someone who's like, oh, I'm, you know, 24, I'm really new in my career and I got this comfortable gig, um, like that's not the time necessarily to be be thinking in that way. Obviously, sometimes people have like immediate expenses that they need to pay, et cetera. But like when you're looking at kind of a risk profile, one of the dangers is 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 doing um, is doing that. Um, and and also, and I, this is kind of like a correlate, cor like a correlate. Um, people like don't think about the amount of money they're going to make over their whole careers. Like they don't think about it in one go. Like they're like, if you, I always look at it this way. Like if you ever took a pie chart, imagine taking a pie chart and being like, all right, here's the money that Karthik's going to make over his entire career. And, then, and it'll be divided out into like decades. You know what I mean? Like most likely, like the decade of your, like let's say the decade of your teens, you made almost nothing or like whatever summer jobs you have 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and then maybe 60s and who knows and beyond. But like the, the, the 20s will probably not be that big compared to the 30s and presumably the 40s will be even bigger. So really what you're trying, so what you're doing in your 20s, like it's good to make money obviously, but what you're doing in your 20s is actually not that, like what really matters is in that period of your life to set yourself up so that when you hit your 40s, like that earning power increases. And so like, you know, the total value of that pie is bigger. Um, and so that's, that's a set that th those, like, these are all different ways of saying the kind of same, same thing, which is like, people are not taking that long-term view. Um, and you see people who have like kind of uh, been 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 in been in a job that's been not that great for like eight to ten years. Those people are 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 often, uh, you know, like they get they get they kind of get stuck. They might not learn technologies that they otherwise would have learned in in, in more dynamic jobs. Um, and and especially if they're at the early stage in their career, like it's it's definitely definitely a pitfall. Yeah, it reminds me of that Bill Gates quote. And I'm going to butcher this, but he basically says most people un overestimate what they can get done in a year and underestimate what they can get, get done in 10. And yeah. I think it reflects what you what you're saying. And it's funny you mentioned the eight, like, you know, people you see people being stuck at jobs for eight or 10 years. Like that was me before we met. Right. I was yeah. at I was working at, Goldman. At, working at Goldman for eight years and, you know, had a, a nice, comfortable job you know, was able to kind of enjoy myself in New York, 
but because I had really optimized for just you know making a little bit more money every year, not really wanting to risk what I had and taking a chance, I hadn't really, I kind of boxed myself in and I was lucky enough to get some inspiration for lack of a better word to, to do something different and, and unbox myself, which has really paid off over the long term. even though remember the startup I was at right after Goldman, like didn't act, actually went under, but yeah, I, I talked about this in one of my other podcasts, but there was this, people talk about compounding and I think that's amazing, but there was this, uh, this thing that I like to refer to as indirect compounding mm-hmm. where when you put yourself out there, you really think intentionally about betting over the long term, even if the thing you do next doesn't pan out the way you think it might, or even in the best case scenario, you're putting all these feelers out in the universe that some of them might hit and, you know, indirect compound for you over time. Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, and you, I think you made the right decision, especially because like your job was, I mean, you were in a line of work that so happened was getting you know, sort of revolutionizing all types of industry. Uh, and, and, and obviously Goldman is probably a nice place to be from like, you know, uh, salary perks, you probably have great healthcare and dental and all that jazz, but like, you know, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so like, you know, you, but yeah, there's a lot of other stuff to do and being able to dabble, which is potentially a bit more risky, but being able to do it at a time when it's okay for you does potentially have payoffs. Like who know you met a lot of people, those people can bring you things. They probably brought you things already, but they maybe will bring you things later on that you don't even know about yet. Yeah. I, I think I mentioned this in, in the solo episode I did about uh, investing in crypto, which is actually a fun story we should get into because we did that jump together after yes. a couple of beers at a bar. But I only learned about that space because of the fact that I went to a startup and my buddy Ryan was like, hey, have you heard about this guy, Chamath? And and then once I kind of dug into his stuff, he's talked about Bitcoin and it was kind of like winding journey. Whereas when you're at places like Goldman, not to hit on Goldman, Goldman was amazing for me. I learned a lot. But when you're at the same job, you are in the same like box for, yeah. for lack of a better word. I think one big thing that really prohibits people is this notion of, of loss aversion where people are, are, much more afraid to lose what they have than to like gain five times as much. Like there's this funny story where people were, if they're like, Hey, would you rather lose $5 in the subway or like find 20? Um, they, and I'm going to get this one wrong too, but basically people were so afraid of losing money than even if they could maybe make 10 times as much. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, there, yeah. I mean, I think we're, I think we're generally wired to avoid loss more than to seek out uh, gain. No, no, no. Our instincts are not good at at calculating risk. Yeah. At all. And I think that's great advice. I think thinking about career from a long-term, I love the pie chart example, thinking about career from a long-term perspective and understanding that you, especially if you're in your twenties, you're at whatever, I don't know what the right percentage is, but I bet it's probably like, 10% 10% of your total earnings. Something like that, yeah. And so it's not about optimizing that 10% because it's really about optimizing the, the pie. And the way you exactly. do that is to, to 
Set yourself up. Yep, exactly. So on the tech side, I know, you know, you're a technology recruiter. You work with a lot of software engineers. When you think about, you know, obviously that space has been blowing up over the past 10 years. For people that are listening that are maybe on the sidelines and like, hey, this tech space is, is you know, c- continuing to expand. How, what, what advice would you give people that are looking to get into this space, uh, but, you know, may not have the means to, you know, certainly go back to college uh, and are maybe, maybe can only really think about investing from a, a time perspective, like part, like nights and weekends. How, how would, what advice would you give someone who's looking to make their way into tech, but um, doesn't know where to start? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the first thing would be like, it's definitely like been exploding over the past, whatever. Yeah. I mean, certainly in New York over the past decade or more, it's been, you know, really taken off. Uh, the, 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 I don't think it's anywhere. I mean, it's still very early days. Like there's still a lot more companies that will be created, uh, industries that are still incredibly archaic that need to be transformed. Uh, so there's a, a lot of opportunity to, to keep on doing stuff. So don't feel um, another actual te- classic instinct that humans have is to look at a situation and be like, oh, it's already been done. Like it's already old. It's already played out like this. Is, you know, um, if I only showed up in, you know, 2009 or something, but in reality, like it's there's, there's a lot more that's going to happen in the U.S. and around the world. So there'll be more demand for, for talent. Uh, and luckily, you know, it's an industry that's fairly, uh, like the gatekeeping is not as strong as in, you know, I don't know, other industries like, you know, media or law or finance or things like that. And so, you know, I mean, there's, there's a, the resources are there. There's nothing stopping you from learning how to code. Um, like you can, you can, you, there's, no, there's really nothing stopping you from learning how to code and putting projects out there uh, and connecting with people. So, I mean, I would, if I were just like, you know, let's say looking to get into the space, I don't have the money to go to college necessarily the time. I would, yeah, I would just probably just work on projects, um, you know, learn how to code in my own time. There's enough number of those like ISA programs that are free. Well, I mean, you have to pay later, but like, you know, there's, there's no cash required up front. So there's ways to get in that way. Um, and then again, like op- going back to what we said before, like optimize to get your foot in the door at an interesting place with smart people what you actually do in that company doesn't matter so much. You know what I mean? There was this expression that um, I was like, I don't know if I came up with it or if I was talking to somebody about it, but we were talking about it and we were like, Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's better to be the potato peeler at 11 Madison park than the head chef at Applebee's. You know what I mean? Like, even if just go to the best place you possibly can and do the shittiest job I, am i allowed to curse yeah no this is um, I'm, okay i'm, 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 I'm sponsored by disney so okay got it away. cool yeah so do, do the crap he has the shittiest job whatever really at the best place you can find because 
you know, at one point they're going to be looking for potato peelers uh, at other places and they'll be like, oh yeah, there was this guy, Karthik, he was an excellent potato peeler. I can't, uh, I can't peel a mean potato. That's, that's yeah. such great advice. I, I, for those of you who don't know, ISA means income sharing agreement. So places like Lambda School will let you take uh, their boot camp to be a software developer for free. And then there's an agreement um, to pay some portion of your income to them over the, you know, I think it's like two years or something along those lines. And it's supposed to, it's a, it's an interesting way to align incentives because they don't get paid unless you get a job and you, you don't have to pay upfront for something that may not, you know, pan out for whatever reason. I also yeah. love as a, as a software developer myself, and actually we should talk about this, um, you know, because, because George and I actually, we worked on a project together at your former company. I was actually a technical advisor and really our the mission of what we worked on was to find this very person, right? To find yeah. people that didn't come from these well-pedigreed Stanford, MIT type places to find kind of diamonds in the rough and figure out ways to uh, assess where they were and to try to find them great software jobs. And one of the things that we looked for was have they built in public, right? And I think, I think you hit it on the head. Like if you're starting out, you know, you know, get obviously you should have a GitHub account, but all the projects that you're doing from whatever tutorials, YouTube, other boot camps, like have that stuff in public so that over time your repository is like, I have these 20 projects I've done in these various languages. And it's such a great asset for you to have, especially if you don't have that kind of classic pedigree, which is going away anyway, but it still matters to some companies. It, it really can make the difference. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would say that that's, uh, that's like a, a, I mean, it was, a, it, was a, it was an interesting, definitely an interesting project. And like, you have this problem of, you know, really talented, uh, really talented people who don't have sort of any signal, uh, like where, and again, there's, it's not as gatekeeping, but uh, as an industry, but there is, right? Like companies will be like, oh, I only want somebody who went to Stanford or I only want like, I don't know, Harvard or whatever, uh, or Google or what have you. But all those people, you know, there's a limited number of those people and those people get courted like crazy. And so what, what we were trying to do was, yeah, surface other talent in a way that's not too costly for other uh, um, for companies in the sense that like they don't have to like spend time interviewing because we would do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like, especially if you build something that has value to it, like it's going to have, uh, it's going to have, uh, you know, the potential to connect with other people. You know what I mean? Like you'll be able to find, uh, find other people who want to, you know, use whatever tool you built, uh, you know, you'll be able to uh, connect uh, with people who are building something similar, stuff like that. Right. So I know you were at Bastille in New York City. Uh, you've now started a new uh, recruiting company called Gringo Jobs. You're based in Mexico City. I'm curious to know what your motivation was for making that change. Yeah, so it's a good uh, good segue. So I have, uh, yeah, so I live in Mexico. I don't live in the U.S. anymore. 
So it was actually kind of connected to the other problem. So I was trying to find ways to get a hold of candidates. Uh, I was trying to get a hold of uh, like more talent. It's hard to find talent. And one of the things was that, uh, you know, uh, there happens to be, I mean, it's a bit kind of a long story, but like there is, happens to be a visa for Canadians and Mexicans called a TN visa, uh, which if you are an engineer and you have, you have a job and you get a job offer in the U S it's very easy for you to get a, to get connected. Um, uh, it's easy to get a visa. And so what I initially did was go down there and try to find people, uh, who wanted to move to the U S on this visa. And the long story short was that once COVID hit that thing entirely died because there were no more visas, nobody was relocating anywhere. But then the silver lining was um, that all these U.S. companies were open to uh, hiring people remotely. And the main, uh, the main constraint was time zone uh, because they still had to kind of work synchronously to some degree. And so it meant that Latin America was like the spot for U.S. companies uh, to hire from. And so we rebranded to Gringo Jobs, which is fairly self-explanatory as a name. It's kind of more meant for the candidates and for the clients. Um, and now we basically hire people. We help connect U.S. tech companies and Latin American dev talent. And they hire and they none of them work. They almost work remote. They almost all work. Yeah, every single one of them works remotely. And how do you think, you know, obviously you, you touched upon COVID. As if you zoom out in five years, right, or even longer, where do you think remote work goes? And, and, and how do you think Latin America writ large, whether it's Mexico or South America, where do you think that, like, how does that story play out from a talent perspective? Yeah, it's a, it, 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 that's, it's super interesting. Like, I don't know where, uh, I don't know where, uh, 100% where things are going to go. I, I don't think remote work is going to disappear. Um, if anything, it's going to be impossible. It's kind of the cat's out of the bag. Like, if companies, if some companies try to, like, go back into a 100% office environment, a lot of candidates, a lot of their, those employees, the employees will leave. So, it's going to become an, an, an issue. It's almost a situation where like, you know, like too many dominoes have fell and like the effect is moving. Um, so in that sense, I don't think COVID's going to go. I mean, I don't think remote's going to, going to go away. Um, I also think that uh, synchronous work is not necessary, but it is useful in a lot of ways. Um, it also is helpful and people don't think about it as much, but like it, to create sort of like, like a sense of, 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 of work culture and camaraderie, like being, you kind of have to do things synchronously to a degree. You know what I mean? Whether it's like being in a meeting or chatting about something, even if it's just like casual or a joke or whatever, like you do kind of have to be in the same time zone more or less. Like you have to overlap. Like if it's just, if you work with people who basically you, you talk to for an hour and then you go to sleep and they do stuff, then it gets really, it gets really challenging. I mean, it's basically impo impossible. Uh, 
Um, and so, uh, and so in general, I think those are, those big trends are not going to go away, which makes Latin America the spot, right? Uh, it, it really makes Latin America like the place, uh, at least for Latin, for the US, for people uh, to work in. And Latin America on the whole is doing a pretty good job of churning out talent. Like there's a huge, huge number of universities uh, that are cheap or free. So a lot of people can go to university there. Um, I think one of the big gaps, which is hopefully gonna close over time is English. So English, like English, like professional level English is becoming more and more of a, you know, a more and more of an of an of an critical skill uh, to have. I mean, not like perfect English, but you know, sort of professionally operational English. Um, and so that is super important. Uh, and, and and like you're almost seeing like a, a, a gap between people who speak English well enough and people who don't. Uh, in terms of the kinds of jobs they can get. Like people live in the same town, one making five times more than the other one because they will, one guy works at, you know, Twitter remotely and then the other one works at, you know, some local Colombian company. So there's a lot of interesting factors, but on the whole, I think the general sort of uh, winds of change are not going to stop specifically for remote and specifically for time zone. Yeah, no, I love the time zone piece. Uh, Balaji, uh, who's one of my favorite thinkers of all time, he talks about uh, Latin America being this great arbitrage opportunity. You talked about U.S. companies being able to hire talented people that uh, live in Latin America to uh, to to work, and it's kind of a win-win. Where it's, they're they're cheaper than U.S. workers. They're on the same time zone. They're kind of hungry. It's also on the flip side. It's a great opportunity for people that when you, if you can work remotely for many people of all professions, not just engineers, being in Latin America is a great way for U.S. citizens, for example, to go to a place that is cheaper and yeah. has, has and sometimes a better, a better, you know, uh, state of living with healthcare and other kind of benefits than the U.S., and you can be in the same time zone and, and really still crush it just as hard as if you were anywhere else. And it's actually, you know, that's basically, it's one of the motivations for, for you moving to Mexico City yourself. I love the way that you put that one of the advantages of, of doing that is this notion of de-risking yourself. Yeah. You want to share more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, I'm thinking about like, well, yeah, well, the way, the way, I mean, I guess it's sort of a general way I think about money or uh, certainly spending money is uh, there are parts of your life where you can, where you should, you can't, I mean, you can't sort of risk, be 100% risky on everything all the time. Uh, you will basically uh, lose, all, lose all your money at one point. Uh, and you can't be completely uh, uh, averse to taking any risk at all. Um, so you have to kind of decide where you're doing this. Um, so living in like a city like San Francisco or New York, um, obviously that's a risky move. Uh, there can be huge cost benefits. I mean, huge benefits, right? You meet people, you work at companies that are really cool, uh, that your life can completely change. Uh, costs are much higher 
uh, as well. So, you know, I think people know that, right? They moved to, they, they moved to, Cali to, to San Francisco. They're kind of deciding to take a risk on that front uh, that you wouldn't have if you lived in, I don't know, like uh, Kansas or something. No offense to Kansas or whatever, but you know. Uh, so so um, with this remote stuff, things are changing, right? A lot, of the, a lot of connections are happening online, things that wouldn't happen otherwise. Uh, and so I'm, by moving to a place like Mexico, um, I'm de-risking myself in a lot of ways, like my burn rate. I mean, I don't know my, yeah, my, my personal and company burn rate have decreased substantially. Like, I mean, uh, th th some of the, I mean, a lot of the things that can ruin you financially in the U S, uh, are non-factors in Mexico and in many other parts of the world. Like, I mean, the big ones are like uh, healthcare, uh, finance, uh, not sorry, healthcare, um, education, uh, childcare, uh, if you have kids, things like that, which are, those are like the kind of things that really like put a dent in your, while in the US and Mexico are kind of like not, not, not nowhere near that price. And so if you just kind of have them out of the way, you can start trying, you can, you have a lot more ability to take risks in other departments right so i'm you know i mean the fact that i can even go down to mexico and even i mean at first i wasn't sure if people wanted to do if any u.s company was interested in doing this like i didn't know when i started recruiting the idea of hiring people in mexico is like unheard of um so there was a risk there right but the fact that i was de-risked by where i lived allowed me to take more risks there so you kind of like, that's the way, that's what I, what I mean when I'm talking about sort of de-risking myself there. And you know, I love that. And I think tying it back to where we started, I think from a career perspective, when you're in your twenties, there's probably, you should probably have more of an appetite to take some more risk from a career perspective. And because you can't risk everything, like it's probably hard for you to take a lot of risk in your career and live in the most expensive place in the world and do X and do yeah. Y then you can look at all these different things as different levers. So maybe you take some more risk career-wise or at least at certain points in your, in your uh, it doesn't have to be for all your 20s, but in certain pockets of your 20s. And during those times, you maybe you de-risk yourself in other ways, right? And, and one other way that you know, you've done successfully is find a place that is, uh, that you have a lower uh, burn rate to kind of give yourself more time to, to invest in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And also like, I didn't want to go live in the middle of the, you know, like in the farm or something, right? Like I live in like Mexico city is a huge, yeah. very vibrant, you know, city. There's great food. Like I, you don't really feel like you're, you're not really like losing anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and you also have all the same conveniences. Like, I don't know, I can get Amazon and Uber and I don't know, Costco yeah. and like all the, sort of usual, the usual uh, uh, American conveniences. Yeah, my, I'm, I'm going to be visiting Mexico City for the first time in like 20 years. I went as a kid uh, with my dad, like when I think I was like 12 or 13. And I know it was a very different vibe back then. So I'm really looking forward to, to, to seeing uh, uh, and hanging out in the city. So this has been great. I love ending every episode with this new question that I'm trying, mm -hmm. which is... Um, What's the favorite, what's your favorite piece of investing advice that you've, you've received and, and who gave it to you? 
yeah, so I think a piece of advice that I got, who gave it to me? Might have been my dad or somebody older <laughs> in my family who had already like, uh, who had already sort of gone through ups and downs uh, financially. Uh, I think the piece of advice would be, uh, it was, it was, it was take, take more risks when you're younger, like the risk of, again, going back to the a large themes in our conversation, but take risks when you're younger, because honestly, even if you lose it, like you do not realize that you'll be recouping that amount and much more later on. Like it, it, when you're, when you're like, again, when you're 24, it's very hard to, to see what's going to happen. But when they look back, they're like, oh, you know, you should just do it. Like it doesn't, you'll have many, many chances, many more than you can imagine to, to recoup. No, I love that. And that's a great place to end. Uh, George, thanks so much for your time today. Lots of really great advice for people thinking about how to make the most out of their career. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for people to do better here. So appreciate the time. Yeah, no, thank you, Karthik.